Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. The most dangerous phrase in our language is we've always done it this way. There are an awful lot of posers out there, people that do lean because they're mandated to do it. They think it will work. How stable are you today? What are your goals? Are you generating small, simple improvements? There are very few people that embrace lean with their full heart, head, and emotion. Let's imagine that your current output is top-notch. Is that enough to stop innovating and stop reaching for more? Patrick's book uncovers the essence of what those organizations look like and what the posers look like. Caution, are you in the fake zone or the real zone? Order your copy today at avoidcontinuousappearance.com. Hello and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. My name is Patrick Adams and we are in episode 27 where today I'll be playing a recording of a webinar that I did recently for the Lean Six Sigma World Conference around how to incorporate the famous marshmallow challenge into our problem solving activities. So during this podcast, I'll actually walk you through how to facilitate the famous marshmallow challenge and even talk through some questions that I use to help debrief the team and tie the experience, the challenge into uh, PDCA or structured problem solving training. Uh, So enjoy this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. I'm going to be talking today about a very specific activity that we use to teach problem solving. And um, for our team, we, we believe that everyone learns differently, right? Um, so, you know, why would you just use one way to teach? You, you know, that, that wouldn't make sense uh, if people learn differently. If you want to maximize the learning potential within the room, within the participants, you should use different ways to, to teach. Um, and so what we always do is we mix our techniques. So, for example, we use icebreaker activities at the beginning of any one of our uh, training sessions, and you're going to be learning about one of those icebreakers today, but we also mix in other activities as well to help with practical ap- application and driving home uh, learning points. Uh, so that's, that's a little bit about what we're going to learn today, and then I'll also be showing some examples of a couple other activities uh, today as well. So with that, let's go ahead and, and dive in. Uh, all right, so did you know that one marshmallow, one marshmallow can change the way that people think about problem solving? So as I said, today I'm going to be introducing you to an activity. It's called the Marshmallow Challenge. Some of you may have heard uh, about the Marshmallow Challenge. Some of you may have been part of the Marshmallow Challenge at some point. Uh, but either way, if you haven't, or if you have been part of it, today we're going to be talking about how to actually facilitate the Marshmallow Challenge and how to incorporate it with your PDCA or your problem-solving training and activities. Um, so whether you've done it before or whether this is the first time you're learning about it, um, I'm hoping that you'll find some really great value in today's uh, presentation. So the Marshmallow Challenge uh, is an icebreaker, again, that we use at the beginning of any one of our problem-solving uh, trainings or activities because we re- realize the, the full benefits of the Marshmallow Challenge in helping people to uh, understand all of the different aspects that are necessary in order to have a really great structured problem-solving um, 
program within an organization and how to really become a learning organization. So just a little bit of history and background about the Marshmallow Challenge. Uh, the Marshmallow Challenge was introduced by Peter Skillman in 2006. And since then, this activity has been conducted to literally thousands of people all over the globe at different levels, from CEOs to students at all levels. Uh, and again, all over in different countries, uh, different uh, industries, it's, it's been, and, and which is really great because the, the great thing about what Peter did is while he, him and his team were conducting this activity, they were also gathering data about those groups and the results of the exercise. So if you go out and you Google the Marshmallow Challenge, you'll actually find a lot of really, really great data out there that can help you in uh, explaining how this activity can help your teams learn structured problem solving. Um, but the lessons learned are universal, and they're especially helpful in establishing a learning organization. So let's talk about the, the activity itself. Uh, the challenge is pretty simple. So teams come together to build the uh, tallest freestanding structure. So that's the goal for each team, to build the tallest freestanding structure out of 20 sticks of spaghetti, one yard of tape, one yard of string, and then one marshmallow, okay? Uh, and the marshmallow, at the end of the activity, the marshmallow has to be on top, okay? So uh, when I conduct this activity, I always prepare my, supply, my supplies in advance. I kit these. Um, ahead of time. And I always set the room up so that uh, the room is uh, the ability to have groups of four. And then I kit the activities. Um, you know, I'll, I'll cut the tape. I'll set up the 20 uh, sticks of spaghetti. I'll cut my string and wrap that. Um, and then I set the, the uh, marshmallow with the, the kit at the table uh, for groups of four. Um, and then this is all set and ready to go when the team comes in and sits down at their tables. Uh, but when I do an activity like this, uh, again, I'm always looking for opportunities to, uh, to be prepared ahead of time. So again, setting up the room, setting up the kits ahead of time, uh, making sure that I have all of the supplies in hand uh, before the day of so that I'm not scrambling to, to get all the supplies out. The team can come into the room, they sit down, everything is set and ready to go, and we can dive right into the Marshmallow Challenge. Uh, so here are the rules of the Marshmallow Challenge. Um, number one, build the tallest freestanding structure. So when I uh, do the Marshmallow Challenge, I bring a measuring tape and I measure from the top of the table, the tabletop, to the top of the marshmallow. Uh, and so that's always universal and it's, it's measured from the top of the tabletop to the top of the marshmallow. Um, and at the end, the tallest freestanding structure is the winning team. And so I try to build in a little bit of internal competition as well by letting them know that the winning team is going to have bragging rights for the next two months. And that always gets a good chuckle from the room. Everybody looks around and, uh, and knows who those competitive people are that are in the room. Uh, but bragging rights for two months, and then also that there's going to be a lucrative gift for the winning team at the end, a lucrative gift. Lucrative is a general term, could be, mean many things, right? And again, it, it creates a little bit of fun for the activity. But what I do is I go out uh, and I purchase uh, either king-size candy bars or large candy uh, that I can use to hand out to the winners at the end. And uh, by definition, you could consider that a lucrative gift. Uh, so again, it just creates a little bit of co uh, internal competition. Um, and I always uh, bring that back during the, we're going to talk about the 18 minutes here in a minute, but during the 18 minutes that the activity takes place, I'm, I'm always reminding them that there is a prize at the end for the winning team, 
uh, and bragging rights for two months, and that always gets people uh, people going pretty good. Uh, but number two, rule number two is that the entire marshmallow must be on top. Number three is that you have to that you can use as much or as little of the kit as you want. So you don't have to use the whole kit, right? And you can use the whole kit. So some people use maybe ten sticks of spaghetti. Um, some people use only a portion of the string. Uh, and that reminds me, I also have a pair of scissors available at the table in case they want to cut the string or cut the spaghetti. Uh, and that always helps to, uh, for the teams to be able to move quickly after they've put together a plan. Uh, but the number four is that they can break the spaghetti, they can cut the yarn as, uh, as they wish. And then number five is, at the end of 18 minutes, all hands have to go away. So the, the structure has to be freestanding. Uh, they can't hold up the structure. They also can't tape the structure to the ceiling. They can't tape it to the sides of the table. They can't tape it to a chair. It has to be freestanding on the top of the table. Uh, so those are the rules. 18 minutes goes by pretty fast. Uh, what I like to do when teams are in groups of four is that uh, during the 18 minutes, I actually play music uh, and I put the uh, countdown clock up on the screen so that everybody can see where we're at on time. And you can actually find a countdown clock on uh, YouTube. You can just search 18 minute countdown timer uh, and you'll find one right on YouTube. And I just throw that right up on the screen. I usually play uh, 80s. 80s uh, rock or I go to oldies or something like that, something that's universally accepted by most people in the room and makes it a little bit more fun. Um, and then also what I do when I start is I don't give people time to think about what they're going to do. I explain the rules, I ask if there's any clarification needed on the rules, and then I hit the clock and I say go. This way, uh, it, it, when we get to the reflection time, you'll understand why, but um, collaboration has to happen very quickly during this activity. And so uh, part of not allowing them to collaborate before the time is forcing the collaboration time into the 18 minutes. Uh, but once the 18 minutes are up, you'll find that some of the teams have a standing structure and some of the teams do not. And we're going to explain why that is here in just a minute. Um, but once the 18 minutes is up, this is a perfect time for debrief, right? The teams, the teams are excited. Some of them uh, are on an emotional roller coaster of watching their tower that they've spent the last 18 minutes building kind of top topple over once they put that marshmallow on top. Um, and so, you know, there's this emotional roller coaster that happens. Uh, but the, at the end of the 18 minutes, it's, a, it's an amazing time for this team to, to come together and talk about what they learned during this exercise, right? So I always put out some questions to the teams and um, I, they're always open-ended questions that are going to create some conversation among the group. Uh, this is an example of one of those questions. So was your team successful in building a freestanding structure? Why or why not? Again, some teams were successful, some were not, but this, even those teams that were not successful had some really, really great learnings about what happened with, in the dynamics of the group itself, right? Who stepped up as a leader? Um, who was more quiet? Who were the worker bees that were just uh, doing, you know, what maybe some of the leaders were telling them to do or asking them to do, right? And why, why was that? Why did that happen? Uh, and, and so it's a really, really great way to debrief and get some really, really great uh, information from the teams. Here's another question, um, but you want to let your teams talk about their experience. You know, I mentioned the open-ended questions, right, to keep them talking about the activity. Um, so would you do anything differently if you could do it again? Now, one of the things that I've, that I've incorporated into this uh, exercise is uh, having doing the exercise a few different times and allowing the team to use the learnings 
uh, each time that they carry out the activity uh, to apply those learnings to the next time. And so obviously the structures get better, they get more robust, uh, the teams have more success as they learn and they move into the, the next phases of the activity. Uh, but that's not something you have to do. You don't have to do it multiple times. Doing this activity one time creates enough reflection opportunity, enough learning to be able to discuss it and, and, um, and have some really, really great uh, learnings that come, come uh, back to the team. Uh, but this is another question that I love to ask. Uh, so here's, here's another one that, that's a really great question, and it's always fun to hear the teams talk about uh, other people's strengths in the team, right? Uh, this, this activity tends to bring out that teamwork that you uh, hope to see within teams, and so it's a, it's a really great team building activity as well as offering opportunity for teams to learn about problem solving in, uh, in PDCA specifically. Uh, so be honest, how well did you work as a team? This is also an opportunity to talk about diverse skills uh, because some people's skills uh, are, are different than other people's skills on a team. Um, and when we talk about problem solving here shortly, uh, we'll talk about the importance of having a diverse team uh, on your problem solving team, right? It's not, we don't want to have a bunch of production supervisors or uh, a, a bunch of uh, emergency room nurses on a team. We want to diversify that a bit so that we get different aspects, different ideas from different people about their uh, viewpoint. So how well does you work as, as a team? This is a great time to talk about those diverse skills within the team. Um, you know, who stepped, again, who stepped up as a leader? Um, who had maybe some engineering ideas about how to build a really strong base, uh, right? So um, what about that uh, outside eye, someone who uh, just was asking questions to the team and making sure that, uh, that they were heading on the right track? Uh, so there's a lot of really, really great uh, discussion points that come out of this question as well. Now, now I want to talk to you a little bit about the data that comes out of this exercise. So as I mentioned earlier, Peter Skillman in 2006 started this activity and he collected data over the years to help uh, uh, generate some really, really great um, data that can be looked at today. And so this is one of the uh, points that comes out of his data. And I always ask the teams this, if you were to think about all of the different industries, all of the different people groups, CEOs, engineers, um, different age ages and school groups, you know, from, from young kids all the way up to, to college age kids. The, the question is, in, in this activity, over all, all of those different people groups, who do you think consistently performs poorly? And so, you know, the teams go through and they think about that and they say, you know, a lot of them say, you know, well, if you don't have diverse skills, so maybe if you put a, a bunch of CEOs together, they might struggle, you know, have a little bit of uh, jockeying for power or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, maybe they don't have the engineering skills. Um, so so uh, th this allows the opportunity to have some conversation uh, about those different people groups. But the answer to this question, when you look at the data, is recent business school graduates, recent business school graduates. And you're probably wondering why recent business school graduates would perform poorly at the Marshmallow Challenge. But the second question that's asked is, uh, out of those same people groups, who do you think consistently performs well? And this is always a huge surprise to everyone. And I'll tell you that uh, the answer is recent kindergarten school graduates. And this is always is a very interesting point that people get. And they're like, why would recent kindergarten graduates do so well at the Marshmallow Challenge? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I will tell you, I, I work with a lot of different nonprofit organizations 
uh, that have kids involved in the activities that are done at those nonprofit organizations. And I have personally carried out the Marshmallow Challenge with multiple groups of children as well as adults and different organizations. And I back this statement that kids tend to do better than adults uh, when it comes to the Marshmallow Challenge. So this is some really, really good information. Let's talk about why, right? The business school students spend a vast amount of time planning, right? That's what they're taught to do in business school, to plan, to create a great business plan, right? So what happens is during that 18 minutes, they're spending a ton of time putting together this plan. Sometimes they're jockeying for power, right? But the execution of the plan is usually done in the last two to two, you know, maybe two to three minutes or one minute even of time. And what happens is that the business school students make an assumption. They assume that this marshmallow is light and fluffy. And sure, it is light and fluffy, right? It, it's a marshmallow, it is light and fluffy. However, given the other materials that are used, the spaghetti sticks, the string, the tape, the marshmallow actually tends to be quite a bit heavier than what they expected. And so they put together this elaborate plan during 16, 17 minutes. And then in the last one to two minutes, they finally build this amazing structure that they put together for their plan, and then they put the marshmallow on top, and what happens? Unfortunately, the marshmallow weighs down the rest of the tower, and a lot of times the tower tends to fall. And so with children, they do this differently. What they do is they start with the marshmallow. They start with the marshmallow on top, and they build prototypes. It's really interesting to watch because, and also the kids don't jockey for power. Nobody cares who's in control. Everybody's jumping in with ideas. They also have no fear of failure, right? Because over time as adults, sometimes uh, we're, we're, we, become, we, we develop this fear of failure and we don't want to throw out ideas anymore. We want to be careful and make sure that our idea is good enough to throw out before we do that, right? Kids don't have that fear of failure. They're all just throwing ideas out and then they're experimenting. They're trying. They're learning with the marshmallow on top. They're putting the marshmallow on top. They're building a small prototype. They see that maybe the base as a triangle works better than a base as a square. So now they know they need to do a triangle. They take it apart. They build a new prototype with a triangle uh, base, a little bit taller. They find that they need to double up the sticks on the sides. Again, they're always putting the marshmallow on top for every single prototype. And they're moving along, building this structure one prototype after another. They're experimenting, they're learning, right? And this is the key to structured problem solving. It's not about developing this elaborate plan and hoping that it works at the end. The key is scientific thinking. This is a simple activity with deep lessons. The challenge, although very simple, uh, is very difficult because it forces people to collaborate very quickly and has revealed some very deep lessons about the nature of collaboration uh, that I'd like to share with you. So these are some of the really, really great lessons that are, that are showed uh, through this activity or that are learned. Uh, so use a team approach, collaborate very quickly, right? That's what has to happen. In order for the team to have success, uh, or not success, even if they don't, it, this activity forces them to collaborate. You can't just sit there uh, because you only have 18 minutes and there's only four people involved in the team. Uh, and so everyone has to collaborate very quickly together. And obviously, this is the same for problem solving. In order for us to have uh, uh, a good solution, for us to drive to root cause, for us to be able to carry out a structured problem solving activity, we have to be able to collaborate quickly. 
Uh, so that's a really great one. I talked about diverse skills that matter. Um, I always love to bring different people into a problem solving team, especially people that don't know anything about the particular problem that we're working on. Because they're going to have that outside eye to ask those questions. Why, have you, why do you do it that way? Or I don't understand that. Can you explain it better? Uh, but also have, making sure that we you know, grab someone from the maintenance department or someone from you know, wherever and make sure that we make that team diverse as, as diverse as possible. Um, and this, this activity helps support that. Use rapid PDCA cycles. Uh, prototyping matters. Rapid PDCA cycles are going to teach learning, right? And then drive out hidden assumptions. Ensure that you're doing those PDCA cycles so that you can learn early that the marshmallow is not light and fluffy, right? Drive out those hidden assumptions early on. And this activity, activity helps to do that. These are some other activities that we uh, pour into our um, problem solving training. Uh, we use a red cup challenge, especially to teach Toyota Kata. Uh, we, we have uh, paper rings that we use for conflict resolution among teams, infinite loops for creative thinking. Uh, we use back-to-back -back, uh, communication uh, challenges there. And then we have a paper challenge that we use for team building as well. Some, some other really good, good ones that you can go out on the web and Google and find how to do these activities and incorporate them into your problem solving. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.